Over time, culture evolves to redefine what is acceptable in society. But the Bible does not change. That leaves us with a responsibility to figure out how to apply Scripture to difficult questions where biblical expectations are different than cultural standards. In this Around the Table presentation, we consider how to live in respect for God's design regarding gender. Hello, I'm Ron Messner. This presentation is Honor and Respect of Gender. We're going to be considering how to keep biblical and how we see gender in related issues, but also how to be biblical in our relationships with people who are taking alternative roles. It's a topic that sometimes we think we could just dismiss and not have to deal with, but it's a real world we're living in and issues that we are facing. So some of the questions that come to mind are how to hold clear respect for how God recreated us, questions of how to interact with those who accept non-biblical roles and lifestyles, how to respect gender as God assigned it to us, and another, how to handle if we ourselves have desires that are different than God's design and plan for us. So I want to start with some foundational points. First, sexuality is a powerful part of our identity as humans. This is true by God's creation. In Genesis 1.26, we read, And God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. And so throughout the Bible, God's creation by gender is spoken of with great specificity. And we need to honor that. We're not just men and women for the convenience of having children nor of establishing authority in relationships, but because this is how God desired us to be. We need to remember as a foundational point that gender is not just sexual. It is also about things like leadership, nurturing and supporting and other roles, which have some level of male and female assignment to them. Men supporting and leading while validating women's gifts and strengths and equality before God. In Genesis 18, we read in the Lord, God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him and help me for him. And a third foundational point, we, we must use the Bible for definitions and principles. We must use it in entirety and not selectively. The Bible defines sin as intentional and willing. The Bible does not define temptation, desire, or confusion as sin. And it is helpful to think about gender uncertainty and same-gender sexuality in terms of, first, attraction or interest, which can happen to anyone, may vary over time and circumstances, and we may or may not have the ability to control or direct those thoughts or interests. On a second level, we consider orientation, which is a more clearly defined sense or awareness that we are attracted to those of the same gender. It's not likely to change, but we need to deal with it responsibly, meaning biblically. And on a third level, we deal with gender and attraction, where identity is a choice, the choice to live out our gender other than assigned by God, or to live out the attraction to people of the same gender since we feel an attraction to them. Society has chosen to make all of these the same, but God does not combine temptation, thoughts, or actions into one whole. He differentiates those things we need to overcome from those things that we live out. Another strong point is while we have little control over temptation and thoughts, we have complete control over our choices of behavior or action. 
And lastly, the Bible does define willful thoughts or things we intend but do not complete as sinful. In Matthew 5, 28, we read, But I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. So let's look at some of the biblical principles that we want to use as we consider this. So starting with Genesis scriptures, male and female created he them. So God created clear roles and clear definitions. God laid out many principles that define male and female nature and roles. They don't always align exactly with our societal view of gender, but they are very real and clear. We sometimes on our own add to the definition of masculinity or femininity in ways that we have learned in culture. We need to continue to go to back to God's word and make sure that we are clear as it's expressed to us. So this applies to God's creation of the anatomy of men and women and God's creation of rules and expectations of men and women. So in our culture, sometimes we define things as farming is male and cooking is female and taking care of children is feminine and mechanical things are masculine. But those, those are not the definitions God gave. Those are ones that we've added, and we need to be careful not to create rigidity or absoluteness where the Bible doesn't do that. We need to look at masculine and feminine in the ways that Bible described describes to us and not add other distinctions that are not biblically based. So the second biblical principle is that it's the Bible which defines sin. It's not us. We can't stretch the definitions. Things like sex outside of marriage between a man and a woman is wrong. And sex for anything other than procreation and love is wrong. Some Christian groups use scripture, but also include church tradition, culture, and reason to determine their positions. But we know that reason and culture sometimes take us to a different place in scripture. This explains trends that we see, but it does not define sin accurately. We also, under sin, need to address the concern when the scripture refers to it being effeminate. We need to be careful how we define this. So in 1 Corinthians 6, 9, the Bible says, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God, be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind. We need to be careful with the definitions. Effeminate, we believe, means of uncertain affinity. It doesn't describe somebody's personality. It does not speak of how masculine or feminine someone is, and it's not about a person's nature or interests. It's about being unwilling to be male, or for that matter, female, and fulfill those roles as they're assigned to us. So the third principle, we each have carnal natures. We need to own those. In Jeremiah 17, 9, we're told the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? While this is unpleasant to consider, we need to own that carnal nature, which is a part of each of ours. And the fourth principle, judgment is the Lord's. We need to leave it there. We're to despise no man. We're to respect all created life. God created and owns all life, whether it is choosing to be in obedience to him or not. We need to be careful that we don't despise that which is God's. In Genesis 1, 27, we read, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. And so within that verse, we recognize each person is God's creation, whether they obey or don't obey. We should not judge anyone for how they're tempted or the desires they have. We are all more than capable of sin than we want to acknowledge, and we're judgmental of sins that we are not drawn to 
but we don't know what wickedness Satan would tempt us with if the circumstances of our life were different. We see examples like Sodom and Gomorrah where it was accepted. More people became drawn to sin, to certain sins. We also just in culture observe in the military and boys' schools, prisons, sexual behavior occurs, which would not occur to us in our normal life, but becomes evident. And again, we don't know how we would be tempted in different circumstances. In ancient Rome, it was not considered abnormal or wrong for men to have teenage boys for their pleasure, in addition to their wives, as long as the man was masculine or dominant in the role. So we are each fallen and desperately wicked and more capable of violating God's design than we may want to admit. So repeat, but in Jeremiah 17, 9, we're told the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? We need to own that's a part of who we are and take responsibility for our behavior. So Jesus interacted with the sinful without harshness or being critical, but also without compromise. In John 8, 11, we read, Jesus said unto her, neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. So we need to figure out how we express love for those who make choices which are not just different than ours, but are also deeply troubling. We can easily be taken as hateful toward groups which resist Christianity, which promote sin, which encourage sin, which is repugnant to us. In the New Testament, we're judged at death or resurrection. In Romans 14.4, we read, Who art thou that judgest another man's servant? To his own master he standeth or falleth, yea, he shall be holden up, for God is able to make him stand. And in Romans 8, 1, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made us free from the law of sin and death. So we need to be careful that we don't move ahead to judgment that is the Lord's to do in his time. We need to be careful that we speak truth, but also be thoughtful of what authority we have over others and how we call that out. The Bible doesn't speak of unbelievers needing to obey Scripture. It calls them to repent and become believers and then obey Scripture. So fifth principle within the church, we're called to support each other. This is love and accountability for each other as we deal with temptation. It's a call to repent and accountability for those who fail. The church is called to provide leadership and care for each member regardless of struggle. In 1 Peter 4.8, we read, And above all things, have fervent charity among yourselves, for charity shall cover the multitude of sins. So, typically, if in the church we have someone struggling with alcohol, we confront that, we set up accountability, we build in loving support, and if necessary, promote professional treatment. If someone has an issue with anger, we confront and teach. We try to help them learn other ways to express frustration. If someone struggles in marriage, we try to mediate, teach better skills, confront, and encourage biblical truth. Struggles with sexual identity or attraction are not an option for us to address or not address. When someone in the church is struggling, we must not reject the person, but we must step in and provide any help we can. This is probably an old quote, one that many of you have heard, but this is the quote. For years, I've heard the old saying, the Christian army is the only army in the world that shoots its wounded. So we need to say up front, that's not accurate. No one should be excluded from the church. Our biblical role is to embrace all, call to repentance, and hold the believer accountable. The question for each of us, are we ready and able to do that? Not make excuses, but also not reject. 
In dealing with this topic, it was helpful to have a small group with a variety of ages, perspectives, and background to run ideas past and to sharpen some of the ideas, to realize some that were missed. And so it may be helpful as you need to deal with situations that are within the church, within family, or just relationships that you have, to have a group that you can share with, ask for ideas, get their perspective about biblical, appropriate ways to respond to others when you know that they're dealing with issues such as honor and respect of gender. So in conclusion, we understand that dealing with gender and sexuality in a world that doesn't honor God will always be difficult for the church. We need to be careful that our conclusions and our actions are shaped by love, by scripture, and by our relationship with God. Thanks for listening. And if you have comments on Around the Table or ideas for future episodes, let us know. In AC Central, go to the settings menu, select user feedback, and when the web page opens, click the feedback on Around the Table link. Around the Table is a production of Onward Media, a communications ministry of the Apostolic Christian Church of America.